0: Last two Sundays, we talked about how to preach the gospel of grace. And um, was that encouraging? I tell you, I believe it's it's life-changing to see how God sees people, the work he's accomplished, and that we don't have to put people under law before they receive grace. We just preach Jesus. We introduce Jesus to them just as we saw Peter do, as Paul did. I mean, it's interesting. An awesome study, if you want to continue that study, Go through the book of Acts, take every message that was preached in the book of Acts, every single one, and see if you see them putting people under law first before they preach grace. See if they're giving them the bad news before they give them the good news. It's not there. I mean, every single place in the book of Acts, even the guy that was in the chariot, and Philip joined himself to the chariot and he said, what does this mean? What is, what is Isaiah the prophet saying here? And he began and preached Jesus to him. I mean, everywhere. Um, so, and anyway, it's just beautiful. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's good news. It's good news. It's a power that is heavenly. And men um, try to, try to um, add their reasoning to it. And it messes it all up. But I'm going to take a little a little uh, detour now. That um, thanks, Jamin. No problem. Um, take a little detour from that part one, part two that we did about how to preach the gospel of grace. I want to share some thoughts this morning about why Christians get depressed. Why Christians get depressed? Because we all do at times. We all have gotten depressed. One of the signs of depression is that you just don't want to get up in the morning. You just want to sleep. You don't want to face the world. You don't want to do anything. You don't want to talk to anybody. You just want to get away from everybody. It's, everybody has it does go through these things from time to time. These times of, of depression or feeling low and just feeling like I don't have the strength to get up in the morning and so forth. Um, and I think we'll see some, some cool stuff today awesome let's pray Lord we thank you that you're you're like the north star no matter what's going on around us we can look at something that never moves to guide our feet into the way of peace Thank you, Lord, that we have an anchor for the soul that goes beyond the veil, an anchor that holds the ship steady through all storms and all discouragements and all attacks of the enemy, an anchor that goes beyond the veil. Jesus Himself, Jesus Himself, the forerunner who's gone before us, sits. At the right hand of God, our anchor, and Jesus, you say to us, "Oh, my child, in the world you shall have tribulation, but you be of good cheer. You be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Thank you, Lord, for the anchor of our soul, Jesus himself. The Lord himself, the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep, who carries the lambs in his arms. Thank you, Lord. Help us now hear and see, Lord, heavenly things. Thank you, Lord, for you are the bread of life and the water of life. And you say, all who are thirsty, come without cost, without cost, without cost. Come and drink of the water of life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. just sharing a few thoughts today this morning about for those who just walked in about you know why believers get depressed or why we get depressed sometimes and get down on ourselves or feel discouraged or um or why why you know is this part of god's plan for us to be depressed um is he is this something that uh should happen um we've heard if you've read a few books about the the old saints in in, past, in the past i think it was saint john of the cross who said talked about the the dark night of the soul He he talked he described a a time in his life when he was um he felt he didn't feel the presence of god in his life he, he didn't feel his presence he didn't think god was with him and so he he called that the dark night of the soul where he went just at, at just bare faith on just information and just kept Making himself walk without any feeling, any sense um, is, is that something God wants for us? Is that, a, is that a part of the plan of God for his children? Um, there's another thing that we've heard people say that um, that I, I've, I sense this I, I sense God is against me, I, I, my sins, I feel like his wrath is just upon me every I can't do anything right, and I just feel like um, like I don't. Like I can't please him. You know, that kind of feeling too. And there's words that we've had, dark night of the soul, the cloud of unknowing. We've heard about that, That you know, just, just this sense of I, don't, I, don't, I can't see God, can't touch God, can't feel God, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this human experience, and that's what it is. The human experience described in these ways does not match up with what Jesus said. Jesus said, he who comes to me will never hunger again and never thirst again. Jesus said, if you drink of the water I give you, it shall become in you a well, a spring, springing up into eternal life. Continual spring. The scripture says that in the presence of God is a continual feast. So how do we get off track? How do we get into this, um, this wilderness experience? People say, well, it's the wilderness. Exp- I'm going through the wilderness. Well, how can you be in the wilderness if you're in the promised land? Because that's where you are. The promised land is a picture of being in Christ. And though there are giants in the land... In the world, you shall have tribulation. We can be of good cheer because he has given us the land, a land filled with milk and honey. So in union with him, there's a continual feast. And and I like that verse where Jesus said, he who comes to me will never hunger again, never thirst again. That doesn't mean we don't hunger for more of God or thirst for more of him. What it means is it's like being on a cruise and you have food laid out for you 24-7. In other words, when you want to eat, it's there. When you want to drink, it's there. He will never hunger again, never thirst again. In other words, the moment you want to just go to him, talk to him, experience him, love on him, receive from him, it's there. It's not like you want it and you can't get it. That's hunger. It's not like you desire it and you can't drink it. You can't drink the water of life. You can't get to it. That's thirst. But Jesus said, he who comes to me, believes on me, shall never hunger again, and never thirst again. Now, we need to realize, we need to decide, are we going to believe Jesus? Or are we going to take the experience of human beings? And, and we're so prone to do that. We'll, we will incorporate into our theology, into our view of God, What human beings have explained or have described as their experience. And a lot of it is sometimes just totally unscriptural. And it's just not from the Lord. They may be going through. uh, There's no doubt they are going through something. I'm not saying they're not depressed. And they're not, you know, feeling like I'm, I'm in this place where I can't feel God. I'm not saying that's not real. That's very real. But why is it that way? Is it because... The reason, is it the reason because God's teaching me something or God, you know, I sinned and, and he's judging me or, you know, um, that kind of thing. Or is the reason really because we have lost sight of the face of God? That's what I want to talk about this morning is the face of God. Remember, we talked about um, how Jacob is a picture of the new creation. Esau, a picture of the old, the flesh. Esau born first and then Jacob. And then Esau separated from, from Jacob, a picture of spiritual circumcision. The new man, Jacob, went through this. We have it recorded in Scripture where Jacob goes through these things, and first he sees the open heaven, he sees the open door. He sees that God is in, in this place, and I knew it not. And then he goes and he understands, you know, that he, through this... Um, relationship with laban his his cattle began to multiply because of this unusual thing that the angel showed him to do as far as cutting sticks and opening up striped sticks and putting them in the water trough so when the cattle would drink of the water and mate next to the water trough they would their offspring would look like what they saw god revealing to to us through jacob's life the spiritual dynamic of looking and becoming what you see And then the third phase of Jacob's life, before he comes back to meet Esau, the flesh, he has that wrestling match with God, and he sees the face of God. And he sees the face of God, and his name is changed, and he's able to cross over. And I think it's so cool, I didn't say this last time, but when Jacob first saw the open heaven and the door, he poured oil on the rock in memorial of that event. And he called it Bethel, which means house of God. Because he said, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. God's here. God is in this place, and I knew it not. Which is what the new creation must awaken to. I love that that little line in, in the movie Dune where it says, the sleeper must awaken. And that's what it is. The sleeper must awaken. Paul even said that. He goes, awake, and Christ shall give thee light. See, awake. You're not trying to get somewhere. It's an awakening of where you are. Awake, God is in this place already, and I knew it not, see? But he poured oil on a rock, and he called it Bethel, house of God. But when he came back around full circle after he saw the face of God, crossed over to meet Esau, and Esau had no problems with him, he went back to that place, and he poured oil on the rock, and this time he changed the name of the place. This time he called it El Bethel, the God God of the house of God the God of the house of God he had seen his face see I believe saints that the son continually beheld the face of the father he was continually um, receiving from the father the great love of the father the belovedness he was aware of his belovedness In the father's eyes. This went on 24-7 with the son. Jesus said. The father's always with me. Father has has never left me alone. Jesus said. "Um, The father loves the son. And he shows me all things. This belovedness. This belovedness that he had is the, one of the main things he purchased for us. He, John 17, the end of his prayer, before he went to the cross, what we call the high priestly prayer, the very end of that prayer, John 17, Jesus said, Father, I pray that the love whereby you love me with may be in them, that they may know, this is John 17, the last verse, that they may know the same love by which you have loved me with, Father, you love them with. And I pray, Father, that they would know you like I know you. That they would know you, that that love may be in them and I in them. Now that never changes. Why does it never change? Because in union with Christ, in union with Christ, you are as he is. I am as he is 24-7. That's why he, that's why he could say, he who comes to me will never hunger again and never thirst again. You will have what I have. You have been called, the scripture says, into the fellowship of the Father and the Son. You have been called into this belovedness. And this is the key to never, never going through any wilderness in here. Out here, yes. There'll be tribulation. There'll be trouble. There'll be attacks of the enemy. There'll be challenges. There'll be giants in the land. There'll be things in our own flesh that try to war against the new me old patterns of thinking and so forth that are not really you anymore. But we do not have to have a night of the soul. We do not have to have a wilderness experience in here. We do not have to have this sense that God is angry with me and I can't do anything right and I'm depressed and I have no hope. Paul says we faint not because we have received mercy. And Paul's whole emphasis is to look. He says, Look not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. For that which is seen is temporary. And that which you see is not always the real. But that which is unseen is true and faithful. It's true and faithful. Jesus said, If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He prepared a place for us in himself. In three days, he raised up the house of God himself, the true house. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. He said, he raised up the house of God himself. He said, I go to prepare a place for you because in my father's house are many dwelling places. So I go prepare a place for you to dwell in me. We, Ephesians says, have become the dwelling place of God. We have become the living stones of this house, Ephesians. We are in union with him. He, our head, we, his body. Now, this this reality is what causes us to see the unseen, to see the unseen. Now, what do we see when we see this unseen? What do we see um, what does his face look like? Okay, let's look at this real quick. Uh, look at Numbers, please, chapter 6, verse 25. Numbers 6, verse 25. Is this encouraging you guys? Awesome. Numbers 6, 25. Look at, actually, let's go to number 622, a little bit above that. Let's start there. Number 622. We're all familiar with this, this blessing. Verse 22. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel. And then will I bless them. Isn't that awesome? Do you notice the two words in there? In verse 25 and 26, grace and peace. Grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. That's what Paul starts and ends most of his letters with, grace and peace. His face shining on us is a reference to, as opposed to his face not shining on you. If his face is not shining on you, that means he's not for you. He's not aware of you. His face is not seen. We can't see it. Can't see him. That's like these guys that were talking about, I'm in the dark night of my soul, I can't see God. Well, this blessing here that was given under the law by the high priest was a foreshadowing of the state of being we have in Christ, the true high priest who offered himself up once for all sin, for all time, and sat down on the right hand of God. This blessing now is a a blessing that is is a done deal blessing so it's done in the in the past tense the blessing now is the lord has blessed you he will keep you the lord's face has shined upon you and given you grace gracious the lord's countenance is lifted upon you and gives you peace the continual blessing of the high priestly work is yours 24-7. Isn't that awesome? Now, the shining face is a picture of God who he's aware of you and you're aware of him. The dark face means I don't see him. He doesn't see me. So the the Lord's face shine upon you is like, "I I see you. Philip, I see you under the fig tree. Don't be afraid. I see you. Don't be afraid. I see you. He was in the mountain when they were on the ship rowing against the storm. He was praying on the mountain. He saw them. He came walking to, the, to them on the water. See, the face of God shining upon us. He sees me. I know your name. I know who you are, Jacob. But you're really Israel, Jacob. I know you. See? And then the lifting of the countenance is a, is a reference to joy. The lifting of the countenance is, is a, a approval. To lower the countenance is disapproval. And, and sadness. But the lifting of the countenance is approval. Acceptance. Isn't that awesome? awesome? Now that's what we have with the Father. Not based on what we have done or not done. This is the great value of the obedience of Christ. By the obedience of one, Paul says. By the obedience of one. And even so as sin through Adam... By the disobedience of one, sin, by Adam, sin passed into the human race and death reigned through that unrighteous state and and sin. Even so, by the obedience of one, Christ, the gift of righteousness because of the obedience of one, not your obedience, Rob, not your obedience, By the obedience of one Christ, the gift of righteousness has passed unto all who believe. And life now reigns, not death, reigns through that gift. Blessed is he who has received this abundant grace and the gift of righteousness, for they shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. By one Christ Jesus, see? So we have this anchor we have this fixed state of being and the scripture talks about the lord talking to his people and he says oh toss to and fro by every wind of doctrine paul says the same thing oh oh little one not comforted isaiah tossed to and fro by all these things you're hearing about me and the father's hand don't forget my face don't forget who I am. You know, not a, single, not a single bird falls to the ground that the father is not aware of. Isn't that awesome? Jesus said not a sparrow falls that he's not aware of. God is at every little sparrow's funeral. Isn't that awesome? Every little bird, God's there. He knows how many hairs we have on our head. What was Jesus trying to say to us? Well, he was trying to, oh, he said, oh, if you had any idea how aware he is of your need. The Father knows you have need of these things. The Gentiles live their whole life trying to get these things. Come to me, come to me, and all these things that he knows you have need of will be added to you, added. And it's a a good thing to share with one another, I believe, that I'm depressed. It's a good thing to talk, sharing our faults with one another, our weaknesses, our struggles. It's a very good thing. So we can encourage each other in the faith to remind each other of the truth. That's one of the the awesome things about the new covenant is that there's no one more righteous than the other. So you can go to anyone and say, man, I'm struggling with this. I'm worried about this. I'm fearful about that. I got an email just the other day that um, a sister who was just, just, enraptured in, in God emailing about the rest she was experiencing in Christ and that very night a young male tried to get in her daughter's bedroom tried to open the window and they never caught the guy and she's now worried about her daughter's safety and she emailed in a second email and said oh saints pray for me because I'm, I'm trying now to stay in the rest I was just talking about yesterday that's just life it's life but see she was just honest and real about it and the, saint, the saints emailed and said, we'll, we'll be praying for you for protection and be encouraged and God is with you. And You see what I'm saying? That's what the body of Christ is all about. The body of Christ is all about, number one, the body of Christ is to remind each other of what is real, the truth. Mm-hmm. Speaking the truth one to another in this great love, building each other up in the spirit, in the reality of the, the great love of God, the work of Christ. I love that verse. I think Jude, it says, pray in the spirit and keep yourself in the love of God. And pray in the spirit doesn't mean speaking in tongues right there. It just means when you pray in the English, you pray in the spirit. It could be in tongues, but also just in English. words, just pray in the realm. Pray in the spirit, as opposed to praying in the flesh. Pray in the spirit. Pray in the realm. Commune, fellowship with him in this realm and see his face. Keeping yourself Not keeping yourself in the love of God if you don't do that. But what he means there is keeping the awareness of the love of God for us as we commune with him. Isn't that cool? He who comes to me will never hunger again, never thirst again. This state of being, this reality he's purchased for us. is the great treasure. This is the great treasure of the kingdom of God. This is what it really is all about. A man finds a treasure in a field, goes and buys that field that he might have that treasure. A man finds a pearl, gets, gets rid of all of his other pearls to get this pearl of great price. What is this treasure? What is this pearl? What is this? What is this? It is. the reality that the God of the universe knows your name loves you so much will never leave you nor forsake you is within us he is within us that he will surely bless you And surely keep you. That his face shines upon you in his son. And his grace and graciousness is toward you. Without limitation. Ephesians says he lavished. Lavished his grace upon us. His countenance is lifted toward you. Toward us. Toward me. And he gives us his own peace. Peace. Not as the world gives, but as I have. My peace I give to you, Jesus said. This is is the state of being we're in. This is the rest. This is the true Sabbath rest he calls us into. For he who has believed has ceased from his own works of trying to get to him, find him, please him. Even as God did cease from his works. Basking. Basking. One of the, I think the lost, if you want to say it this way, the lost art in the Christian life is simply basking in the love of God. That is so powerful. Everything in this world makes you want to rush. I read something. No, I heard on the, on the news. Um, at, on Morning Joe, on the news one morning, this guy was talking, and he said, "There, there's no place to be bored anymore in this world because there's always some media, some TV you can turn on, some computer, some iPhone, some app on an iPhone, some movie, some book, some whatever. There's always something that stimulates us. We there's there's you always distracted, distracted. Rarely. He says, the reason why we don't have people having deep thoughts in our culture, deep thoughts in our generation, is because in the past they had time to ponder to bask I tell you you can you can receive more in five minutes from God basking than ten years trying to figure it out going from one thing to the next one thing to the next one thing to the next one thing to the next, one thing to the next. that's the way he is like Elihu in the book of Job Elihu was listening to all these wise men talk to Job and and listened to Job talk to them and Elihu he was a young man he he was not an old wise person just a young kid and he's and he's listened to Job talk and his friends talk and his friends were saying well this is happening to you Job because of your sin and all this stuff and Job was saying no it's not because of my sin I'm a righteous man and all this stuff and he was. He got frustrated with Job because no, it's not because of your righteousness, Job, and no, it's not because he sinned. It's not that at all. They're missing it all. And Elihu, this is chapter thirty-two of Job. Elihu speaks up and he goes, you know, I, I'm a young kid and I thought you guys would be wise because you're older than me and I, so I listen to you guys. But I've got something in me that has to explode. I'm like new wine about to vent because I thought old age would teach wisdom. But he says, but there is a spirit in man and inspiration from the Almighty gives us. Understanding, basking basking inspiration spirit to spirit speaking to us you'll have a wisdom passed beyond your years from the father the rest the rest I love the way he said in that blessing by this they will invoke my name They will invoke who I am. That reality is ours every day in the Son, Jesus did this for us. He said, I go to prepare a place for you in this house. In my father's house are many dwelling places so that where I am, you may be also. Where he is, we are also seated with him in this heavenly reality. He with us, lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. And we are where he is in this union that never has a dry spell that never has a wilderness in it. That never has this, uh, the, a dark night of the soul that never has, That in here. But yes, outside pressures, things come at us. That's why Paul, don't you get the impression in reading Paul's letters that he never had a bad day? (laughs) But he had a lot of bad days. Because every now and then it would come through. You know, he would talk about, you know, beatings and going to prison. And I mean, what is their secret? I mean, what were they, what did they do? I mean, they, they were put in prison and they were praising God in prison. And what is the deal? And we look at that as some high spirituality that only a few can reach. No. It's because we have allowed bad teaching to come into our heads. And it eats away at the reality of union. This is a book that I mentioned earlier. This is a book that's read Wild, widely in seminaries around the country. It's called Dynamics of Spiritual Life by Richard Lovelace. Not to pick on him, but this is what is widely taught in seminaries. And when I read this in a couple of seconds here, you'll see, you'll recognize it as what's pretty much out there. Well, what's pretty much out there is killing us. And this is, and what happens, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A leaven there is not just in Galatians, when Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul in Galatians is not just talking about law, but he's talking about the whole mindset behind law keeping. Because through the the law is the knowledge of sin. See, the law reveals sin. The law aggravates sin. The scripture says the power of sin is, is stimulated. The power of sin in the flesh is stimulated by law. Paul says the law is the strength of sin. I mean, how many ways can he say it? So this whole way of looking at reality in a law way or, uh, law or a flesh mindset way is what it is, is slowly killing us. We're losing sight of the new creation. The new creation is almost not even talked about. And if it is talked about, it's talked about as a process. Saints, by definition, the word creation is not a process. Evolution is a process. Creation is not a process. The Lord said, and it was. He created. He calls into being that which did not exist. And it was a new creation. You are not in the process of getting a clean heart. Peter says in the book of Acts, he says, those guys I preached to in, in Cornelius' house, God cleansed, past tense, cleansed their hearts by faith. We have been circumcised. We have been given the new heart that the prophet said would come in this new covenant. I will wash you with pure water and I will give you a new heart within. I will take out the stony heart that's, that speaks of death and give you a heart of flesh which speaks of life. In that sense, it's not flesh in the bad sense of the word. It's stony heart versus flesh. Living. See? So what is the process? The process is not the new creation becoming newer or whatever. The process is what we talked about. The awakening. Awake. 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 The sleeper must awaken. Behold and see what is, not what will be. Behold and see what is. Behold and see what is. What is. That's truth. That's what Jesus meant when he said you shall come to know the truth, the real and that will set us free. No matter what we go through, when you know the real, we have an anchor for the soul. And we have each other. It's not we're not alone. We have each other in the truth. We can encourage each other no matter what we're going through. We can encourage each other. We can remind each other of the truth. We can forbear with one another, encourage one another. Pray for one another, help teach each other, help show each other the truth, the real that's in Christ. Weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice as a family. No matter what we're going through. Isn't that awesome? awesome. That's the body of Christ. We're not, it's not a fleshly thing where you're trying to improve the flesh or trying to look for sin or even in yourself or in your brother. It's not that at all. In fact, it's totally opposite. The apostles taught us to look upon him, to behold him, the image of him who created you in holiness and truth, and you are changed or transformed, renewed in the mind into the same likeness, from glory to glory, from faith to faith. The dynamic is one of looking at the spirit, not the flesh. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. So look let's look at this real quick. Concerning the use of the law in discerning sin and advancing sanctification is this. Oh, and remember this too, Saints. You are sanctified. Scripture is very clear about that. You have been sanctified, past tense. What is in process is the manifestation of your sanctification that already is. Isn't that awesome? You are now holy and blameless. And as we are growing and our minds are renewed to the thoughts of Christ... For we do have the mind of Christ. We're not getting that either. Gradually, we have it. We have the mind of Christ. So as the Spirit teaches us, as we spend time to bask and ponder, and the Spirit is able to speak, the still small voice is heard away from distraction. Then we put off the deeds of the old man who's dead. Just the deeds. Not putting off the old man. He's dead. But the deeds of the old man are being put off, and the deeds of the new man who is are being seen. Isn't that awesome? Now that's how the apostles taught. Okay, let's look at this and then we'll wrap this up. Another reservation concerning the use of the law, the use of the law in discerning sin and advancing sanctification is this without concurrent light on the provisions of grace, the law will not cure sin but only aggravate it. As Paul says in Romans 7 8 through 9. Because Luther had seen that it is virtually impossible to respond phenomenously to the law, that means in a God way, without the vision of the grace of Christ. Lutheran ministers became suspicious of too much Puritan law work without preceding and accompanying declarations of grace. And rightly so. Human beings cannot bear much reality. As T.S. Eliot said, The aesthetic of grace is constantly needed in the healing process of sanctification along with the surgical ministry of the law. For this reason, many areas of the church, which contain a great deal of legal thunder and lightning, exposing at least the surfaces of sin, are full of desperately anxious and bitterly contentious people because law without without grace provokes sin, along with exposing it and aggravates it into some of its ugliest expressions. So, and you can read more and more about this, but what he's saying is that, here's another thing here. The lifelong process of mortifying sin involves a gradual detection process by which the particular forms in which sin expresses itself in our lives, our characteristic flesh, are uncovered to our view. Some of this discovery of sin occurs early in our Christian lives, but the subtlety of indwelling sin is such that many of its deeper roots remain under the surface of consciousness. The detection process by which old roots of sin and new developments of the flesh are discovered and before, the detection, before, the, before detection, every region of the flesh is latent, present in our lives, but working unconsciously. The probe which causes our independence from God to flare up into consciousness, expressing itself in over, overt acts of sin, is the law. Biblical principles of righteousness and ethical truths written on men's hearts, enacted in their laws. The complaining accusations of others harmed by our sin, etc., etc. See what I'm saying? Basically, he... And this is what is widely taught, is that the, the law is like a probe. It's like the, the doctor doing the surgery. And we need just the anesthesia of grace to handle it. Because, as he says, men can't handle too much reality. Now, what he's talking about as reality is flesh. No good thing dwells in our flesh. And he's right. You cannot handle a, what a depressing. No wonder we're getting depressed. See, that's exactly why Christians get depressed. You start living a life like this, which we're in it in many ways. We're having to unlearn a lot of stuff. But you try to be more sanctified or more holy or become more Christ-like with a dynamic like this, where you're trying to probe the deep roots in the flesh of sin. So you can become more Christ-like and using grace as just an anesthesia so you can handle it. Give me a break. Is that what Jesus taught? Is that what the apostles taught? No. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And that's why Paul, who looks like he never had a bad day, even though he had lots of bad days, knew the truth that it wasn't about his flesh. No good thing dwells in my flesh, Paul says. I'm not looking to my flesh. The mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. The real, who you really are. Jacob must awaken. The face of God never changes. And because, see that whole other dynamic of looking at sin, we automatically think God his face is no longer shining and his countenance has dropped. And therefore, we don't live in that continual blessedness of grace and peace, which the Son purchased for us. Isn't that awesome? You see how clearly the two, the two dynamics are? And they're co- they come from the two trees. We'll finish with this. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil exposes sin. Je- the Father, the God, spoke to Adam and Eve and said, Who told you you were naked? That comes from that tree. That the way to get better is to look at myself. The tree of life, on the other hand, has with it light. Jesus said, He who comes to me shall have the light of life. And that light shines on the face of God. And we come to know him. And to know him, Jesus said, his life. And as we behold him and see him as he really is in our inner man, as we spend time basking, spend time pondering these things, don't let the world distract us. We never have a chance for this to take root. But spend time walking, taking walks, taking times in the morning, in the evening, look up at the stars every now and then and, and let him love on us. Let him love on us. And it will be, will be strengthened in our inner man. It's so simple. He made it so simple. The uneducated can do this. The child can do this. In fact, you must become as a child. See? He did it this way so that nobody would be left out to receive this great love of the Father 24-7. Not a sparrow falls. Not a hair on our heads. He doesn't know about. His face shines on us. His countenance is lifted. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Your mercies are new every morning in Christ. Mercies new every morning in Christ. Always go back to the obedience of Christ. Because of the obedience of one Christ the gift of righteousness God's righteousness has passed upon all who believe and therefore they reign in life in his life he who comes to me shall never hunger again shall never thirst again in the world we shall have tribulation but we can be of good cheer for he has overcome the world Lord thank you that we don't have to ever be depressed we don't have to ever lose heart we don't have to ever be discouraged. As Paul says, we're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. For we know whom we have believed. And we are persuaded that he is able to keep that which we've committed to him. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. And he keeps us. The great power of the father. No man can take you from my hand. Nothing, no power. What shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall our sin? Who shall bring any charge to my children? Shall height? Shall depth? Shall bad times? Good times? Shall demons? Shall angels? Highs and lows? What shall separate you from his love? The love the son purchased for us. Father, that they may know the same love you love me with you love them with thank you father for you have done it In jesus name amen